All right, hello everyone. Uh, welcome to our next session. Uh, I'm Ben Budish. I'm Barclays Analyst covering the U.S. Brokers, Asset Managers, and Exchanges. And for this chat, uh, we've got Martin Kelly, CFO of Apollo. Martin, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for having us. Um, maybe just starting with a higher level question on business execution. So you're almost two years into your merger with the scheme. How do you feel like you're executing on the five-year financial targets initially laid out in the October 2021 Investor Day? And where are you seeing the most momentum in the business? thinking about both asset management and on the retirement services side? Um, good question. Um, thanks, good to see everyone. Thanks for, thanks for coming along. Um, it's actually really interesting. It feels, it feels like uh, a lot longer than two years since we, since we did the, um, the Investor Day. Um, but it's, it's, actually, and it's actually quite remarkable how, how much we've accomplished in that period of time. Um, so we, we actually feel great. We feel great about what's behind us. Um, and you can see that in the financials. Um, and we're as enthusiastic about what's ahead of us as well. And, and so I think, you know, financially achieved some of our five-year targets in two years. And so, um, you know, you should expect further, further growth from there. In particular, Athene's business has had a, has had a terrific two years. Athene is, is running at, uh, at higher than their, their five-year targets two years down. We've, we've been pretty specific about guiding to an earnings metric for the year uh, of about 3.3 billion of, of spread earnings. And so that's up, up from less than two uh, just two years ago. Um, and then the FRE asset management business is doing great. It's, it's doing exactly as we planned, uh, low double digit growth last year and, and we're guiding for 25% this year. Um, within that, um, certain businesses like our capital solutions business uh, have also achieved their financial plan in, in two years. So, you know, I think financially we're well on track with, um, with the, the targets we've laid out. I, I think what's, what's really important is the, the clarity of the strategy today is much more apparent than it was two or three years ago. And I think we keep, we keep looking back to the big three priorities that we laid out, capital solutions, uh, global wealth distribution, and the origination platforms. And each of them are, uh, are on track or, or, or better. But I think behind that, there's now six or seven other priorities that we've been speaking about. And each of them have a plan. And each of them, um, many of them actually are in some way dependent on the merger. And so I think it, it, then, it then brings us back to the alignment between asset manager and the private services that the merger brought about. And, and I think that the thesis for the merger today and the benefits on the on the combined uh, are clearer, frankly, to us, but but definitely to people we interact with outside outside the firm. So, um, you know, we're we're really focused on um, it's not one quarter or one year, but building sustainable growth in our in the, in the next over time. And so, I think when you look at the three and the six, and look at at the comments we're making about accessing different distribution arrangements and your product development and technology to distribute products, it's all with a mind to creating sustainable growth uh, over, over the time frame. So you know, long answer, but you know, we're, we're sort of ha halfway through, really, really pleased with, with what's behind us, but as excited about what's, what's ahead. Great. Um, maybe let's dig into some of those. So maybe starting with sort of origination and the, the broader fixed income replacement theme uh, that Apollo has been talking about for some time. Uh, maybe to start out to level set, what exactly do you mean by fixed income replacement? I think we're all now aware, inundated with 
private credit. But how do you guys think about fixed income replacement? How does that differ from what we typically think of as private or alternative credit? Yeah, it's actually, it's really interesting. I think there are so many different definitions out there of what private credit is. And um, the, what I think the predominant definition of private credit as defined by the market is, uh, is direct lending and distress. It's three or four things, direct lending, distressed credit, pieces of commercial real estate debt, uh, and pieces of mezzanine credit. And the TAM for that, uh, that aggregation is about a trillion and a half dollars. What we've done pretty specifically and transparently is define private credit much more broadly as fixed income replacement. And it's, it's predominantly an investment grade business. And it's, we think if you look at the, at the, sort of the, the broadest definition of fixed income globally, which is about a hundred, $150 trillion uh, market, and take out of that Gavi's agencies, mortgages, uh, investment grade corporate bonds, most most securities with a QSIP on them, you get down to, and then you haircut that. We, we think that the um, that the investment grade fixed income business is about a forty trillion dollar business. And so that's trade finance, it's equipment finance, it's leasing, it's commercial finance, consumer finance. Uh, it, it all structured to be investment grade, but um, but but a much vaster opportunity set for us, and so that that leads in and sort of supports a number of the, the the sort of the next six initiatives that we've been that we've been talking about. It's also the focus of our platforms. We have 15 platforms today that originate credit. Um, they're all focused on originating credit, and Atlas, the, the Credit Suisse platform, is is the most recent and probably the best example of that. But it's an investment grade lending platform. It's a warehouse lender to other lenders, uh, structured with LTVs and interest coverage to be investment grade, and that's what we've done across the other 15 or 16 platforms. So you know, we think that's the that that feeds our third-party insurance strategy. Uh, it feeds our syndication business. Uh, it feeds our asset-backed finance business to come. And so you know, having a core capability in originating private credit, of which the, 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 the platforms are about about half of the overall effort is, is really important. And we think it's a, it's a real distinct competitive advantage. Right, so kind of following up there, one of the opportunities that was discussed in the last earnings call was sort of the ability to now serve the fixed income bucket of your traditional LPs, not just the alternatives bucket, but the broader I think you think about this as part of the larger TAM, but how big is that opportunity specifically with like, your existing clients and what does it take to get there? Is it, is it just a series of you know, making phone calls to the fixed income manager, not the alternative manager? How do you get from where you are today to you know, penetrating that opportunity? So I very bluntly uh, define the average allocation is about 20% equity alts, 30% fixed income, and 50% everything else, equities, private private um, venture capital, real estate, infrastructure, et cetera. Um, most of the fixed income, like the far, far majority of that fixed income, 30%, is liquid securities in a structure that doesn't need liquidity. And so if you can provide an alternative with risk, but less liquid, for yield out performance of 100 to 200 basis points, which is the whole construct, then you have a, a massive addressable marketplace in the fixed income component uh, of, of LP allocations. And so it is a question of sort of walking into a different office. You know, the, the whole business has been focused on the office allocates alts, the 20% bucket, 
uh, but we see a much vaster opportunity in fixed income replacement, fixed income office, and providing appropriate risk return, similar uh, risk return investment grade, but for an, an outperforming yield given the, the, the lower liquidity, which which many of these LPs don't uh, don't need or want. And on the origination side, maybe again thinking high level about Apollo, can you talk a bit about the path to achieving the target of 150 billion in annual origination dollars across you know, traditional high-grade alpha, your platform origination? I think you currently have 16 platforms. You've indicated a handful are fully scaled. You know, how much volume growth comes from scaling the, the rest, incremental M&A? And maybe you mentioned Atlas. Can you kind of touch on where you are with that integration and the ramp there? Yeah, sure. So the, the 100 billion or so that we're producing today is roughly 50% 50, 50 of platforms, so the 15, and I'll come back to that, and 50% everything else. And the everything else is, um, is large cap uh, corporate lending. It is uh, commercial real estate origination, debt origination. Uh, it's CLO origination. It's the rest of the, the sort of the core credit franchise. And so to get from 100 run rate today to 150 uh, run rate over time basically requires the platforms to double. If we can make the 50, 100 with no more growth in, in everything else, which is probably you know, conservative, I think, then that's the path to get there. So what we're all about, if, you, if we look at the 15, 16 platforms today, four or five of them are scaled and account for the majority of the assets. And then uh, the rest are uh, either scaling or so. What we're really focused on is making sure we can get scale out of the, the remote platforms. It's probably it's probably not a question of of buying a lot more platforms and going into newer asset classes than it is scaling what we have. And it may be combining what we have, but getting you know, getting more scale and heft and um, and efficiency out of what we have. Um, if we look at Atlas, Atlas alone. Um, can probably get us most of the way there, I, I think. And so that's a, the, 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 to your second question, the, the business is onboarded, extracted from, from the CS infrastructure. Um, the team is in place. Uh, business is strong. Uh, Atlas has actually originated about 30 securitizations this year since uh, we closed the transaction. Uh, and so, and it's a really interesting business. It's a, it's a lender to lenders. There's 300 borrower relationships within that ecosystem covering both consumer and commercial uh, finance. And so we, in, in the form of mostly warehouse lending, um, and, and it's basically structured to be investment grade. So all of the warehouses have LTVs that, uh, that get each individual warehouse up to an investment grade rating. And then it's just a question of what we do with it, how we bundle it and tranche it and, and distribute it. And the, and the, the homes for that distribution uh, multiple uh, and create different fee revenues uh, for us, uh, but the basic you know, basic thesis is to, is to is to grow that that muscle, and and so that will also help our asset back finance business if we get that off the ground. But you know mo most of the growth comes from um, in our base plan comes from the, the 15 platforms of which most of that comes from Atlas. Great, you you touched on it just briefly, but can you maybe walk? You, you mentioned the fees. Can you walk us through the revenue model for the whole? platform origination ecosystem? Are you earning syndication fees to these assets end up in Apollo funds where you're earning management fees? You know, how much is going on to the fee balance sheets? Um, how does it all spool up into P&L? Yeah, this is, if we, if we look back to when we did the investor day, this is the piece that was the least understood in terms of translating sort of effort to 
to revenues. It, it's clear if you grow a global wealth business, it comes with with uh, with a fee rate, and you can so sort of, you can sort of put that into a perpetual revenue stream. And it's also clear if you grow a syndication business, given volume assumptions, you can you can create a, a fee business. The um, the origination business, I think, has become clearer. I, I actually think um, the CS business has really um, catalyzed in, in people's minds what, what this is all about, this whole strategy. But our basic premise is, is we want to have significant skin in the game in the form of what we take onto Athene's balance sheet and distribute the rest. And so the basic construct is keep 25% of everything and distribute the other 75%. That alone provides a, a, a real alignment benefit that LPs look at and, and, and sort of recognize that if we're taking that much risk on our own balance sheet, then um, you know, we, we're sort of, we stand behind the credit. We've done our work and the underwriting standards are, are, are sufficient uh, standards. The, so where does the other 75% go? Well, start with the, the 25%. 25% goes onto a thin investment grade balance sheet uh, with that yield, it creates the SRE that comes through our overall owners. So that's relatively straightforward. The other 75% goes to um, other insurance company buyers of investment rate, uh, rated paper, for which we earn a fee, upfront fee, and then that's it. Uh, or And or it goes to third-party managed accounts, for which we earn an ongoing management fee. Uh, and I think increasingly in the future, it will go into our third-party insurance business, which will be effectively a customized managed account for insurance companies uh, and, uh, and to support our asset-backed finance business. So 25% so by dollar volume creates SRE, and then the rest uh, has been more weighted towards uh, capital solutions fees to date, but with, with, with an increase in that business over time, I think there'll be an increasing amount of management fee growth that comes from, from that, that throughput. Uh, maybe moving over to the asset management side of the business. So maybe first with fundraising, you know, how would you characterize the current fundraising environment for the more traditional drawdown funds? How are LPs thinking about asset allocations? Are there still, you know, lingering denominator effect issues or is it more about kind of capital return? What's sort of your, your high level kind of take on the environment there? Yeah, so we closed fund 10 at $20 billion and we're, we're actually very happy with that. It was not the $25 billion that we set out for, but in, in the market that exists for, PE flagships, um, we think it was a great result. Um, I think what's happening, like the environment is definitely more difficult than it was a few years ago, without question. But I think it rewards managers that have quality product and good returns. And so it, it all, you know, it all comes down to sort of risk return trade-offs and how, how LPs want to allocate their capital. So if I look at what we're in the market with today institutionally, part of it is is just the next vintage of existing fund uh, families, um, all of which are performing well and all of which are fundraising is going well, as expected. Um, and, and without the headwinds that, that I think the whole market has experienced on the flagships. Uh, and then there's innovation, then there's the new products, uh, part of which are Apollo-led, where I think we have a distinct advantage like AAA and like asset-backed finance. And then part of it is just market evolution, where the market is leading, uh, is going in terms of climate finance, transition, uh, secondaries, and, and the like. So, you know, if we look at, and we can talk about retail separately, but as we look at the market for institutional capital raise, um, fund 10 is done and behind this. The pipeline of other uh, funds in market is really healthy. 
and diverse, and, and fundraising is going well. So I think this year we'll raise more than last year. Last year we raised more than the year before. And so, you know, it's, and part of that is product design, part of it is distribution. But, you know, it comes back to the comment I made up front, which is incremental uh, growth over time to create a sustainable increase in inflows and Maybe looking forward, you know, part of the strength in the third party fundraising is coming from progress on your, your kind of next six organic initiatives. Can you kind of remind us what those are and maybe highlight any significant wins from this year? Sure. Um, I'll try to get this right. So, so firstly, firstly is AAA. So AAA, which has probably had the most attention, AAA is the equity alternatives portfolio of Athene, which has been uh, branded as AAA and is now being marketed to both institutional and retail investors. And so this is a portfolio that brings with it um, expected 11, 12% returns over time. And it's, uh, it's not public equity, it's not venture capital, it's not the typical type of equity investments that insurance companies own. It's about half uh, platforms, so the same fig platforms that create the, the origination, including Atlas, including Midcap, our direct lending business, including Wills Diamond, our fleet leasing business, and, and all of them. Most of them are in some way, uh, in some part, owned by, by AAA. Uh, it's investments in other insurance companies like Aura and Challenger. Uh, and then it includes investments in a whole collection of Apollo-related uh, funds. And so the benefit for investors that look at that is it's a fully invested portfolio day one with no J-curve, uh, diversified. It actually has more fixed income characteristics than it does equity because the, the underlying portfolios are investment grade um, lending platforms for the most part. Um, and so that, that business has had a lot of um, um, attention and both in, in institutional and retail channels and within retail, I'd say family office has been particularly uh, interested in it. So that product over time, we think, We've said this before, we, we, we continue to believe that this should be and can be our largest fund over time. And so that's a question of balancing Athene's ownership of it with third party ownership of it, which we think is probably 50-50 over time. So as Athene grows, that portfolio definitionally grows, and then we'll bring in third party capital uh, to, to create growth in that portfolio. And then, and, then, and then it becomes a question of portfolio allocation and where we invest the capital. So that's one. I'll try to do the others more quickly. Um, so Altitude is a product that we've branded as an annuity wrapped uh, series of credit products. And so this is much more nascent. Uh, it's at the stage of development and, um, and discussion with distributors. But the basic construct, uh, which I think is very appealing, is to offer Apollo credit products within an, an, an annuity wrapper. So tax deferred in a retirement account, uh, accessing mid single digit up to low double digit type return uh, businesses. Um, nascent will have, I think, uh, appeal and, and traction over time. Um, third party insurance is important to us. We've, up until now, we have most of what we could produce Athene, Athene wanted or Thora wanted. And so now with the, the 15 platforms and the other businesses that create credit, we have excess, excess production. So we, we onboarded about $7 billion of AUM from third-party insurers in the first half. Um, and so our whole contract here is to focus our, our, our private credit origination, as we define it, 
into a package which is uh, which is appealing to third-party insurers. Uh, and there's no reason this can't be a successful business. We've done it for Athene for 15 years. Um, and so part of it is is access to interesting credit. Part of it is the support that an insurance company needs in, in statutory uh, and other reporting. So that's three of the six. Uh, four is um, sidecars. Sidecars are just customized accounts that come in and invest in a, a parameter of, uh, of investing criteria. We've raised about a million dollars in that strategy this year. Um, what am I missing? Oh, climate, climate and secondaries. Thank you. Uh, so climate, climate's really interesting. We, we all read the statistics on how much transition financing the world needs, and it's trillions of dollars per year for decades to come. So climate is a business that is both. It's actually three things: it's an equity business, a hybrid business, and a debt business. And so it is offering. Um, it's offering financing solutions to companies to transition uh, and to provide capital, which is in short supply from other sources. Um, and so that business, I feel particularly enthusiastic about. We've raised $4 billion of capital for it at the start. Uh, and then lastly um, is our secondaries uh, business, which is also a couple of different things. It's an equity secondaries, uh, credit secondaries, and GP financing. Um, and it's to deal with, you know, continuation funds, GP monetization um, in both the equity and the, the credit space, and, and also includes NAV financings, which we see as a particular opportunity. So we've also raised three or four billion dollars of capital for, for, for that effort uh, as a start to that business. So that's the six. I would add a seventh, which is asset finance, um, which we think is um, a massive opportunity and is is fueled by the origination that the, that the platforms create, uh, starting with Atlas, but, but, but all the others as well. Great. Well, that was very thorough. Appreciate it. Um, so maybe putting this all together, you know, thinking about your 2026 FRE per share target sort of implies like a 16% three-year CAGR AUM growing a little bit faster, driven by the sort of lower yielding, uh, the lower fee yield segment. So maybe just kind of putting some of those pieces together maybe talk a bit about how much of the effort growth comes from operating leverage, you know, broader fee generating AUM growth and the capital solutions business kind of from here to 26. Yeah, so I, I, I make a few comments. The, the, um, the basic math is create close to mid-teens revenue growth plus operating leverage gives you mid to high teens FRE growth over time. Um, our margin today is around 55, 56%. And over this time frame, we see it step, stepping up in a pretty linear fashion, actually, to about 60% or a bit better. So that's the math. I think the interesting thing about our business is all of the initiatives that we just spoke to, the six plus the asset back finance, um, and, and actually most of the initial three are being funded through P&L OPEX. And so we've, when we did the Investor Day two years ago, we laid out $15 billion investment capacity target, of which Pipeline was earmarked for strategic growth. We, we actually haven't spent much of that, and we haven't really seen a need to spend much of it. We, we bought a retail distributor, Griffin, and we made some investments in, in retail technology platforms, uh, but we've significantly underspent on that. Uh, we've also spent nothing on M&A. So what we, you know, we're, we're thought of as a, as a sort of capital-heavy uh, balance sheet heavy company by some. We actually think we operate in a very balance sheet capital efficient way. All of those initiatives, for the most part, 
but for the one I mentioned, are funded by PL. And so every year, and we're doing it right now, as we go through a, a multi-year planning cycle, we, we lay out what we think the, the, the growth priority should be, how we're going to fund it, um, and, and prioritize it. But the funding all comes through, through PL. So, you know, it, 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 we absorb the cost before the revenues, and we, 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 we lay it out and sort of sequence it in a way that we can accommodate the targets that we've, that we've laid out. Great. Maybe one last question sort of under the asset manager umbrella. Um, in the capital solutions piece, you know, you're running nicely ahead of your longer term target of $500 million annually by 2026. So maybe what's gone well here? You know, how's this business kind of evolved? And is there perhaps a framework that, you know, investors could apply to think about like how big could it be as a percentage of your AUM or transaction volumes or, or how should we think about like what the potential is here? Yeah, this is a, um, it's a great business. And, um, and it's, it's developed much more quickly than we thought. We actually think it's much more stable in terms of fee profile than, than is understood. And if we look at, if we look at the business and look at the construction of transactions that, um, that contribute to that, it's a series of securitization flow type transactions from the platforms, including Atlas. Uh, it's, it's a whole variety of credit financings. Um, and then, it's a little bit of uh, co-invest capital. And we think that all three can grow over time. But if we, if we look at the construction today, the, the far majority of capital that's creating those, for capital being syndicated that's creating those fees is, uh, is credit. Uh, and the majority of that is investment grade. So I actually think it's quite a different business from what some of our, our peers have uh, in the sense that it's focused on sort of investment grade credit. And, and while I think each of those three um, components of it can grow, the business is nicely diversified. It's, it's, you know, it's corporate coverage, it's sponsor coverage, it's growing outside the U.S. Um, and so we see, we see, we see sort of growth at the channel level. We saw, we also see growth in Europe and Asia. And so, you know, we're not, we're not updating our targets for the business yet, but. But I think it is an area, you know, there's certainly where we are is not where we intend to be going for. Great. Uh, maybe moving over to retail. So I feel like I've heard Mark say it several times. He thinks, you know, client portfolios, retail portfolios could one day be 50% allocated to alternatives. So with that in mind, you know, maybe to start, how much of your flows today come from the retail channel? And where are you in terms of, you know, building out your distribution? Yeah, I, I think this is pro probably our most complex new business development. And it's, um, it's going well. We raised $6 billion last year. We said we'll raise $15 billion per year by 26. We're, we're well on track to do that. So I think the, the, the targets are modest and certainly achievable. Um, it's, it requires four or five or six different things to happen together to make this business successful. And so it comes back to the same comment, which is putting in place the components to create incremental growth over time. Part of it is product design, and so within that, um, part of it is, is making sure we have product that the market recognizes, and part of it is creating distinct products that, are, that bring a, a, a particular advantage uh, because we're offering something that's unique in the market. Examples in, in, in that regard would include AAA and Altitude and asset-backed finance. Um, part of it is offering a combination of typical sort of drawdown-style funds, which some investors want, retail investors. Part of it is financial um, capital funds. Um, part of it is um, 
is technology, making sure you have the right technology distribution. So investing in platforms that can uh, create scale and operational efficiency. And then there's distribution and making sure, and, 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 and education actually. So we've, we've launched Apollo Academy. I encourage you to look at the website. I think it's a really good primer for investors to look at what we offer to, um, to retail investors. Um, and distrib distrib distribution agreements just take time. You know, we're building on, on different wirehouse distributions that uh, create product shelf, realizing that there's not going to be that many firms that can get space on the shelf. So we want to be, we want to be one, of those, one of those firms. So, um, you know, we have, I'd say, stepping back, we have the right leadership in place in each of the geographies. We, we had five products in market at the start of the year. We now have seven. We're going to add, you know, one a quarter or something like that. Um, it's, it's getting a lot of focus internally, but it, it's one of these things where it's, it just takes each quarter is better than the quarter before, and it's just a, 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 an incremental growth over time. And can you um, maybe drill into AAA just a little bit? And we spent some time talking about that earlier. But I think you recently mentioned high bank platforms with more in the U.S. and internationally slated to come out of the second half. Um, obviously, you, you kind of said here and have said previously, you think that's the potential to become a lar Apollo's largest fund. So maybe just more recently, what have kind of retail flows looked like into that fund and, and what does the sort of trajectory look like um, to, you know, as you approach that target? Is it sort of more penetration with an existing distribution partners, more widening of distribution? How do you kind of get there? Yeah, I, it's all of the above plus family offices. So which is a which is a separate effort, but related to it. So each quarter we have seen incremental growth. Uh, or marginal growth in in the inflows, and so I think in in the last quarter of this year we should be running at north of five hundred million dollars. I think next year we should be running at two to four billion dollars of retail demand. So same same story, just build it and build it incrementally each quarter, and it gets traction, and you know you get access to different channels, and and the growth should step up over time. Uh, at the same time, balancing that with with wanting to make sure that Athene always has something close to 50% ownership in the structure. Uh, but this is like back to the capital efficiency point. This is something which is becoming, I think, better understood, but not fully understood. Most of the, most of the platforms that we own today are owned through AAA. And so we, we have very few needs to spend holding company capital because we have other forms of capital. AAA is one, ADA, Panacra is the equity sidecars to Athene. Are another really important strategic use of capital, but you know the AAA can provide a very uh, attractive risk return to investors, while at the same time creating platforms that create origination, that feed SRE, and then syndication fees and, and management fees. Great. Uh, let's move over to the retirement services part of the business. So, in terms of Athene's flow outlook, you got it to 60 billion plus of inflows this year. So, what are what are the key drivers? How much of this is from expanded distribution? Higher rates driving just more demand on the retail and PRT side, the M&A environment for inorganic blocks, and and maybe thinking longer term, how sustainable is global growth into 24 and beyond? Yeah, uh, there's a lot there. Um, so um, I would say, you know, higher certainly higher rates are attractive for the opportunity to sell annuities, and so the whole market has seen an increase in in, in volume of sales. Um, what we've not seen this year ourselves is funding agreements, and because spreads have been wide, we don't need to issue funding agreements that don't produce an attractive ROE. And we have not seen for some years now inorganic transactions in the U.S. And that's just—it's a—it's a, it's a uh, incredibly competitive marketplace. 
with you know 100 people chasing the business and we don't need to compete in organic transactions so so with with both of those sort of footnotes the business has grown and we're guiding the business to be a 60 billion dollar plus business this year which is really fueled by by annuity growth by reinsurance transactions uh, and by pension risk transfer pension pension group annuities trans transactions and so each of them have have grown uh, principally in the US this year um, and so part of it is higher rates part of it is access to uh, to different distribution we've been you know, up until now most of the annuity distribution by has been achieved through uh, IBDs and RIAs uh, we've recently been launched on the JP Morgan and UBS platforms and so that's the start of I think further wirehouse distribution and so even with our production today, it has effectively zero contribution from, from those two platforms. So more to come there, and then more to come from two, three, four other platforms that we're in dialogue with, which should hopefully come online over the next six to 12 months. Um, so, so, you know, the annuity business, I think our competitive advantage in that, in that market is A, our ability to earn extra spread on the asset side and our low cost structure. And it just makes us very competitive in the marketplace. So the annuity business is sort of run rating to, to higher levels in the US. The pension uh, group annuity transaction business, without question, higher rates have helped the funding status of pension plans. I think our rating, there's really three players in the market for, for PRT, we're, we're one. And I think our rating, the increases in the rating over the last few years has really helped our ability to be a, a counterpart to, uh, to corporate pension plans. So that that market, which is about 50 billion last year across the market, we think is is sort of is fertile in terms of, of further transaction growth, not just here but but outside the U.S. as well. Um, and then reinsurance is benefiting from the overall growth. It's, it's a flow business, so it benefits from the overall growth of the business. Um, but then we we look to Asia, and so Asia for us in Japan, and then Korea, Taiwan, uh, Australia, Hong Kong. We think we see um, meaningful growth over time. So, same story: incremental growth, putting in place new products, new distribution arrangements that can make sure we have a sustainable flow of production, uh, increasing you know, year by year. Great. Um, and can you talk a little bit about Athene's various sources of capital? So, for example, you recently issued a 1.4 billion convertible bond that was expected to support growth in the retirement services business. So, what's your what are your thoughts on the overall expected pace of deployment? And the overall impact of this additional capital, you know, it was this sort of contemplated in the 23-24 guidance? Was this anticipated or was this kind of added on top of what you provided last quarter? Right. So Athene has seen 30% earnings growth for each of the last two years. Um, that's not sustainable. Uh, but what we are guiding to is, is our long-term targets. Um, so that's sort of the earnings guide. I think we'll, we'll provide guidance to connect all the dots later in the year. But, you know, we do feel like we're leading business on the it's a, it's, a, it's a rich environment to be originating liabilities. Um, our platform and other origination businesses and the asset allocation uh, paradigm that, that connects that to liability production is creating really attractive ROEs. And so we see really meaningful growth in the business. Um, so the, the convert, the mandatory that we issued to the, the use of proceeds, if you like, are to create uh, out of thing, above and beyond what we're what we're seeing today, and then that fits into the overall capital allocation framework, which is 
that we, we want to be a regular buyer of our stock above and beyond uh, employee comp uh, immunization. We want to be competitive in our dividend, and we think that's important for S&P. And so uh, we increase our dividend this year. You know, that's, that's the start of what, what should be pro programmatic. Um, and then we want Athene to continue to pay a dividend upstream to the holding company consistent with what we've laid out there. We want that practice embedded in the discipline of how that business is run, including, uh, including with regulators. So, you know, the, the one thing we're not saying much of, which I, I spoke about, is uh, uh, strategic growth investments. There's just not that much that we find interesting to do. So that's what, there's plenty of organic growth. And capital allocation will follow that, that paradigm. But, you know, if we, the interesting thing is if you look at, if a, if a decision for us is invest more or less in Athene, which you can think of as at the margin of injecting capital down or adjusting the dividend, when you pair the return on that capital with the return, with the, um, the contribution from ADEP, the equity sidecar, you get to a 20% or better return on equity when you consider the SRE accretion from that uh, additional business as well as the FRE accretion from managing the assets. And the FRE benefits are the same regardless of whether the assets sit on the Athene's balance sheet or they sit on the balance sheet of the side class. So that growing Athene is really attractive from an earnings and an, and an ROE perspective. But so is, is buying back stock at a high at a high teens growth rate at today's multiples, you know, buying back stock is, is also attractive. So we have good choices and we thought that issuing the convert um, would help uh, preserve those choices. At the same time, Athene is is underlevered and has the the capacity to, to, to issue more debt if if the environment presents itself. But, but that's not where we want to be right now. Great. Uh, we have time for one or two more questions. So maybe we'll want to return to something you mentioned earlier about the possible seventh of your kind of next six, which is asset-backed finance. Um, you know, you've talked about being sort of a twenty trillion dollar opportunity. How, how does that evolve over time? You know, what sorts of assets does the company look like? Who are the eventual owners? And how important are Athene? Your other Third-party insurance partners and, and you know the, the broader theme about taking assets or, or partnering with regional banks, you know, supporting these new assets. How long does this all take to play out? Years, decades. Probably. I, I think it's um, we're we are a good owner of assets, and so we want to be a partner to banks that um, that want some, some balance sheet capacity. So um, it's it's a similar set. Talked about the 150 trillion, 40 trillion, and fixed income replacement. It's a similar set. It's it's a subset of that, but it's covering many of the same asset classes. So, you know, we can. Our plan is to have a fund franchise around around this. Um, but as long, but the only way you do that is to create origination. And so, making sure that the platforms are set up to create origination, making sure we've got partnerships with banks that create asset to play. Uh, partnering with banks in in most cases to to do that in ways that are advantageous and economical to to both uh, is is what we're really focused on. Uh, maybe we just our last minute here. One more question on a completely different topic, but something that is topical you know overall. How do you see developments in AI tech impacting the financial services industry? You know, how are you or are you currently you know planning to incorporate it into a policy? And you can give it to like thirty. We've got thirty six seconds. Um, I think it's a it's a large opportunity over time. I think it's um, it has lots of different applications for a, a complex like us, PE companies at the at the level, within the firm from an investing perspective as well as how we run the firm operationally. 
uh, each of the FIG platforms that we own. But I also think it comes down to data and, and is data in the right place with the right governance around it and is it high quality enough that you can trust it uh, to be used to make decisions. And um, I don't have that. I, I think it's, um, it's, it's challenging. So I think it, it all comes back to data and, and data governance um, and use cases. I mean, there's lots of hype around this, but you need to look at actual use cases and how can you actually use this in a way that you can trust it to, uh, to create efficiency and make decisions. And so I think that's, uh, that's where the rubber is going to hit the road. We've spoken, we've spoken to all the consulting firms, all the accounting firms, many of the tax uh, the law firms, about how their clients are doing this, and 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 it, use cases are, are, are so I think it's going to take some time. Great. Well, unfortunately, we're out of time, but Martin, thank you so much. Appreciate yeah, you having me. Appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you.